the handout's going to prove very uh, useful for a number of reasons. The first reason is I'm going to go through these points rapidly and it will help you. The second reason is, is I hope that you use it as a study instrument throughout the week uh, as we go through. Second Chronicles chapter 20, just a powerful, uh, powerful piece of scripture. I want to open up with a story that I shared uh, in the Good News Service a number of weeks ago. I was on vacation. I was in Massanutten. And when I came back, Dave gave me an opportunity to share how things went. And I told you about a bear we saw. And I want to share that story again because some of you didn't hear it. And if you've already heard it, no worries, because I have a rest of the story ending to it. And first of all, we were playing kickball. It's funny, we're at the same place that Faye and Paul are at now, and I can just uh, imagine they stayed in a very similar uh, unit that we were in, and we were at a cul-de-sac. They're at the end unit as well. And I can just imagine Paul and Faye playing kickball like we were. You know, Paul rolling Faye the ball, and she just giving her a wallop. So I'm there with my three kids, and my father's there, and my dad's rolling the ball. The kids are kicking, and I'm fielding, and my dad rolls it. I don't know who kicks it, but they kick it, and it goes past me. And I turn, and I kind of go, and as I lift my head up, I see this bear. And it's in, it's in the uh, grass. It's a ways off. In fact, I have a picture. If you could put the picture up, this is not the picture of the bear, but it gives you an idea of how far away it was. And I wasn't alarmed, so I turned around. And so my dad and, and the kids, because they hadn't seen it yet, the bear had seen us. It probably knew we were there the whole time, of course, with all the noise we were making, but it could care less. I'm like, there's a bear. And as soon as I said that, my oldest daughter, Caroline, she was like, right up, up to our, our townhouse area, but the door's locked, and she's trying to kick the, the door down uh, to get out. It was like she was lit on fire. And then my youngest, he starts walking towards the bear, uh, so I go and I pick him up, and my dad gets a line, and my dad, the only one with any sense, is like, uh, we better get on the porch, which is about 30 feet high, uh, because we don't know if the bear has its young. It's clearly an adult. Maybe its young were around, and they don't like that to be separated or have a human in between them and their young. So we got up on our porch. Uh, just a bear study. Bear story is fun in itself, but this is the best part of the story. I tell this story. I go back. And then a lady in the congregation who knows my Caroline really well goes up to Caroline and says, I, I heard you saw a bear. And, of course, Caroline's like, yeah. And it was chasing right after us. <laughs> and this is, that's the picture. See, that's what reality was. That bear was mirroring up the mountain. It could care less. Here's what Caroline saw. That's, that's what she, she's like, woo. See, but here's the deal. We're, we're talking about fear and that's what fear does. She had a heart filled with fear, and it changed her perspective. That's what fear, that's the purpose of fear. It has no good purpose. Let me give you this illustration as well. I have a two-by-four here. It's eight foot long. It's about six inches off the ground. This is what I did all week instead of studying, so enjoy this. I practiced this. All right, you ready? That's it. That's all I get. A little more. Come on. Give me some love. So some of you, what really makes me upset, some of you were like, is it going to break? Is it not going to break? Is it going to break? It didn't break. But here's the deal. This is six inches off the ground. I want you to picture in your mind it's 15 stories off the ground now, 150 feet. And below it, there's just jagged rocks and a canyon and water and crocodiles snapping. 
150 feet off the ground, am I going to be so relaxed going across it? No. Uh, some of you may be. I'm not going to be. What's changed? The board's still a two-by-four. The distance is still, but what's changed is now my heart's filled with fear. It changes my perspective on it, the way I look at it. Since I'm going to be spending the next 40 minutes talking about fear, we should define it. Uh, right on the top of your notes, I have a dictionary definition of fear. If you look up fear on the Internet or in Webster's, you're going to find this. It's an anxiety related to pending hardship. You can write the words pending hardship. Some things you need to know about fear. You don't fear the past. You fear the future. You can be upset at the past. You can be annoyed by the past. You can be bitter about the past. You can be angry about the past, but you're not going to fear it. You fear the unknown because it lies up ahead. You don't know what's going to take place. The last night I was with my parents, and uh, we came back, and we got back late. Maybe got back to our house around 9.45 at night. Who, who took time last night to look at the moon? Did anyone do that? A few of you. It was huge. It was awesome. And in fact, it was so big, and it popped so much that Johnny, my two-year-old, pointed out, we're going home, and he said, look at the moon. Or maybe just a moon. And we noticed it. So when I got out of the car, I picked them up, and, and I went around my house. For those of you that know where I live, Right Aid's my neighbor, and the lights were out, and the parking lot was open. We go to the parking lot, and we're looking at the moon, and we're in awe of God's creation, and we're talking about, this is our God, so powerful and huge. and magi-. He hung the moon in all of its glory, and it was an awesome time. And then we hear this, and Johnny goes, it's an owl. I don't know if there's owls in Middletown or not, but we heard what sounded like an owl. And what changed is the glory of God got chased out of Johnny's heart, and it began to get filled with fear. And as soon as he heard the, he tensed up. He started pushing away from me. He started to say, I want to go inside. I want to go inside. And his heart was totally, the, the glory of God totally got replaced with what? Fear. And isn't that true in our life? We can be going along and we can be worshiping God and we can be studying God and we can be glorifying God and then a circumstance, an overwhelming circumstance comes into our life and pushes all that out, all God's splendor, all of His holiness. And fear takes residence in our heart. That's why the Bible says so much about fear. I have written in your notes the very next line. What does the Bible say about fear? The Bible tells us, do not fear over 250 times. Why? Because you cannot magnify God and have a heart filled at the same time, a heart filled with fear at the same time. A magnified God. In fact, someone so bold wrote, fear is the opposite to all that Christianity is supposed to be. Romans 8 tells us this, for you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Instead of allowing fear to take residence, we cry out to the Father, Father, to push out fear. 
As I mentioned, I'm going to be talking about 2 Chronicles and a story in there about Jehoshaphat and his circumstances. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, if I'm going to be spending the next half hour there, there's some things we should know about that section of Scripture. First, I can tell you I had a little fright. We don't preach much out of 2 Chronicles. In fact, I'm leaving my dad's house, and he said, what are you preaching on? I said, 2 Chronicles. My dad's my spiritual leader. He's been a Christian for as long as I've been alive. And he's like, is that in the Bible? <laughs> and then I started questioning it. I'm like, I think so. <laughs> I'm preaching on it. Uh, so we don't go there much. If you had to do a theme of Second Chronicles, it would be this. At least this would be my theme. It's don't ever bet against God. What an awesome book. It's story after story of God's children in insurmountable circumstances come into their life then God shows up and is victorious. What an awesome book to make a part of our regular devotions, our readings. What I'm going to do and ask you to do with me is I'm going to start in verse 1. And I'm just going to work my way from verse 1 to verse 25. And we're going to go through this story. And we're going to see how Jehoshaphat, a king that the Bible itself says is a good king, not because he had good policies, but because he feared God. And we're going to see how Jehoshaphat faces circumstances that would cause great fear in his heart. Verse 1, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It says, Now it came about after this that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon together with the sons of the Meunites came to make war against Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat was the fourth king of Judah. Judah was the southern kingdom of Israel. At this time, Israel's been divided. We have the northern kingdom, which retains the name Israel. We have the southern kingdom, which is Judah. And then inside Judah, the reason this is important, and I'm taking time to define this, is inside Judah is the city of Jerusalem, extremely important to God. And Jehoshaphat's the king of Judah, which houses Jerusalem. Verse 2. Then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, out of Aram. And behold, they are in Hazron tomorrow. The first thing I want to point out is a great multitude. Uh, the scripture is so very clear, a great multitude. Have you guys ever had a great multitude come against you? What is a great multitude? Is it 2 to 1? Is it 10 to 1? Is it 50 to 1? I think I can define that at VBS. I had a great multitude come against me. I was 30 kindergartners. Uh, Todd's in charge. I don't know if Todd's here. And he just releases them on me. Just like on his beckoning, he's like, get them. And they're like, ta-ta-ta-ta, all 30, 40-pound little kindergartners come. I'm 6'7", about 240 pounds. And you know it took them about a half second to get me on the ground. They're just on top of me, swimming on, on the ground. Now, I want you to picture this. That's 30 kindergartners wearing little white shirts that says God is love and peace and all that. <laughs> I want you to picture this. Imagine 30 trained soldiers, fully clad in armor, holding spears and swords, and they have one purpose. 
One purpose is to wipe you off the face of the earth, and they're not going to stop there, and you know this. They're going to take your wife out. They're going to take your kids out. They're going to take your mom and dad out. And they're going to take everything out around you. That's their goal. I don't know about you, but that would spark some fear in my life. A great multitude is stormed up against them. And then it tells us this. They were beyond the sea. This is verse 2, the second part. From beyond the sea, out of Aram, and behold, they are in Hazron. That makes no sense to us because we didn't live back then. We didn't live in those cities. But it would be like saying this. Garden Chapel's Judah, and the people are mounting up at Champion Sports Bar and Grill. It would take an army about 15 minutes to get here. They're right there. They're coming. What are you going to do? Verse 3. It tells us this. Jehoshaphat was afraid. Okay? I want to make this clear. There's a difference between intrinsic, intrinsic natural fear and a heart filled with fear constantly. If we were to leave here, let's just pretend we leave here and you're in your minivan and your family's with you and you're, you're at the stoplight where Turkey Hill and McDonald's is and you're pulling out. You get the green light, you're pulling out. And out of the corner of your eye, you look up and you see a semi coming at you full board just running the red light. If you're like me, you're going to be like, Ah! And then you're going to tense up really tight and you're going to hit the brake really hard or the accelerator and some things are going to happen. Your adrenaline's going to get pumping and, and you're going to make some very quick decisions. That's an intrinsic fear, a natural fear. We all have that. Jehoshaphat had that. Just imagine someone knocking on his door. He's having his palace supper. Someone's like, and there's like, there's a great multitude mounted up against us. He's like, where are they at? And he lists off these cities. He's like, wow, that'll take them about 15 minutes to get here. And Scripture tells us Jehoshaphat was afraid. But then see what it says. It said, and he turned his intention, he turned his attention to seek the Lord. See, when fear comes into your life, it creates a fork in the road. Every one of us. This week, something in your life is going to come up that causes you fear. In fact, to make this personable to me, and I hope you do it as well, and maybe I should give you a second to do this, what is it that you fear? This is what the Lord laid on my heart that I fear. This is my fear. I have three kids. Things aren't going real good right now for the world and Christians, and there's certain elements of persecution in India and, and around the world. Right now, we got it pretty good here in America. But one of my fears is, is I have two kids that I, I believe with all my heart are saved. They made professions of faith. I pray by the grace of God they grow in that faith, and they make commitments to God. I will stand and not turn back. That's my prayer for my kids. I will take a stand for Jesus Christ and not turn back. And here's my fear. What's that going to look when they're 30, 40, 50? What are they going to be up against? What persecutions are they going to face? What's their family going to be up against? And that scares me a lot. 
And when that fear comes into my heart, when I tuck Caroline into bed and I tuck Alana into bed and I kiss Johnny, I got to give that fear to God because it puts me at a fork in the road like, holy cow, these kids. Oh, man. And I have a choice. I'm either going to give that to God or I'm going to let fear camp out in my life and destroy me. See, Jehoshaphat had fear come in, and then he makes this choice. He turned his attention to seek the Lord, and he didn't leave it there. He turned, that's a moment in time. It's just like, boom, what are you going to do? Fear's in. Your world's blowing apart. Your kid's doing stupid stuff. Your spouse is doing stupid stuff. Your boss is doing, you're scared. What's my future have? Are you going to let it camp out, or are you going to turn your attention to the Lord? Scripture tells us he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. He not only turned his attention to seek the Lord, but he, but he instructed his, those around him how to do it. Immediately turned to God. Point number one, you can write this in your sheets. When fear creeps in, turn to God immediately. When fear creeps in, turn to God Immediately. Let's take a minute. I should have prayed before I got in the scripture and I got excited as I tend to do and jumped ahead. Let's come before the Lord and pray that as we go through the scripture verse by verse, the Holy Spirit, the only one that can produce change, does produce change. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're already in the scripture. I know for a fact the Holy Spirit's here. We don't have to guess. We don't have to be like, is God here? God's here. And I know there's people here struggling with fear. I know there's some prideful people here that won't admit they're struggling with fear. And I just pray that the Holy Spirit touches every heart in here. There's nothing I'm going to say that's going to change anyone's heart. There's nothing any human person, we we have no power to change hearts within of ourselves. And these sinful lips have nothing to instruct. But I do know the Holy Spirit does. And I don't want to just put in time. I don't want to just be here because this is what I do on Sunday. Um, I don't want to just be getting a checklist off of uh, things that I'm doing today, but allow real change to take place. How freeing it would be to have a church full of people that are fearless for Christ, that when fear comes in, they can, in fact, I believe the Holy Spirit can take some fearful situations right now and cause them to increase our faith in, in you. And I pray that that happens. I pray that's the result of this scripture and the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. When fear creeps in, turn to God immediately. I can tell you what I would have done when I would have got that report. The knock on the door, if I'm king, hey, there's a great multitude against you. Where are they at? Oh, they're about a half mile away. They'll be here any minute. They're just simply mounting themselves up. I would have started counting tanks. I would have been like, okay, how many tanks do we have? Not enough. How many soldiers do we have? Not enough. How many bullets? Not enough. How many do they have? More than enough. All right, let's turn to God now. Who here does that? Who here, when fear comes into your life, you try and handle the situation on your end, on your own, and then when you fail, you fail, you fail, you turn to God. Jehoshaphat does not do that. I can remember back when I was about 14 years old. 
Uh, and this is a God moment, and I hope you have God moments. I hope you have godly people in your life that you can turn to and learn from. I'm with my dad, and, and we, we cut grass. That's, that's what we did. And we had these walk-behind mowers, and they're four, five, six hundred pounds each. And one of them had a, a leak in its tire, and we would not fix it. We just kept pumping it up. And this one tire went flat, and because it went flat, the tire came off the rim. So the rim just spun in the tire, and we're dead in the water. We can't get it on the truck. We're not going to lift it up. So my dad tried to get the tire back on the rim, and he worked at it for about a half hour. And he worked, and he worked, and it's hot, and we're falling behind, and he's getting madder and madder, and I'm watching him. And at the point where he's about ready to explode, the Holy Spirit steps in and teaches me a lesson that I'm going to remember the rest of my life. He just stops. And this whole new spirit came over him. And he's like, John, we should have brought this before the Lord. Exactly what he said. We should have prayed about this. And so that's what we did. We prayed. And, and, and we prayed. And then he got back to it. And I can tell you, I saw a miracle. Because right after we prayed, that tower popped in. It sealed. And it blew up. And we were on our way. God gave that to me through my dad. But how many times have I forgot that lesson? How many times has a hard time come in, a circumstance that I don't want in my life, and instead of praying, what do I do? I try and fix it all myself. I'm like, I'll handle it, I'll handle it, I'll handle it, I'll handle it. Oh, man, I'm in over my head. Maybe I should bring God into it. That's not what Jehoshaphat does. I have a list of four things. I'm going to go through them very rapidly. Non-biblical responses to overwhelming circumstances. Here's some things that we'll often do when overwhelming circumstances come into our life. Here's the first. And we go to the flesh and fear. And that begins to become our God. Fear becomes our God instead of God himself. Here's the second one. We run away from responsibility. We run away from responsibility. Jehoshaphat could have moved to California and got a new kingdom. It would have done him no good. So often, families, they run into turmoil within their family union, and spouses abandon all responsibility and run away. Three, we could do nothing. Just do nothing. Turn on the TV and tell ourselves over and over again, everything's okay, everything's okay, everything's okay, when there's a great multitude at our doorstep looking to bring us harm. Or the fourth thing we could do is turn from God. Turn from God. I know people that have served God and then an undesirable circumstance comes into their life and they yell at God, God, how could you allow this to happen to me? Don't you know what I do for you? Don't you know how often I've come to church? Don't you know how many years I served in VBS? Can't you see all the things I've done? And you allow this to happen to me. Je Jehoshaphat does none of these. Instead, he quickly moves himself and those around him towards the Lord. Point number one. When fear creeps in, turn to God immediately. Here's point number two. When God is magnified, fear is gone. When God is magnified, fear is gone. 
Verse 4 says, So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord, the God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? And are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hands that no one can stand against you. I have a magnifying glass here. If I were to look through this magnifying glass and look at you guys like I am now, I can kind of zero in on Joe and Joe's head just explodes up, all right, through the magnifying glass. But the bottom line is Joe's head remains the same size. Nothing's changed. When we magnify God, his character, his holiness, his greatness has not changed. All we're doing is placing it in a rightful place in our heart. Our problem is not that we over-magnify God. That's impossible. Our problem is we don't magnify God enough, and instead we magnify our problems, our circumstances. The Bible calls us to magnify God and not that. It's impossible. I said this in the beginning. I'll say it again. It's impossible to have a magnified view of God, a right view of God, and have a fear-filled heart. The final scripture, the bottom scripture on your sheet, Proverbs 21.1. I want you to look at that once again at the bottom of the sheet, front page. It says, the king's heart is like channels of water in the, hands, in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. There's no one greater than the king. And the Bible tells us it's God that's directing kings. The next point I want to draw, if you flip your sheet, is Jehoshaphat goes to God in prayer. Point number three. Jehoshaphat goes to God in prayer. Verse 6 tells us this. And he said, O Lord, the God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? And are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand so that no one can stand against you. Verse 6, what a powerful verse. I want you guys to participate in this. When I say who can stand against God, you guys say no one, because that's what the scripture says. So who can stand against God? That's pretty good. Let's try it again, because some of you are facing some pretty big things. Your boss is giving you a hard time. Your spouse is giving you a hard time. All these things are mounting against you, and it's good to hear who can stand against God. Who can stand against God? Very good. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that powerful in our life? Dr. Stanley Jones wrote this. When fear comes into our life, our life begins to implode. This is what he says. Someone much more uh, able to articulate much better than me. He says, I am inwardly fashioned for faith, not for fear. Fear is not my native land. Faith is. I am so made that worry and anxiety are sand in the machinery of life. Faith is the oil. I live better by faith and confidence than by fear, doubt, and anxiety. In anxiety and worry, my being is gasping for breath. These are not my native air, but in faith and confidence, I breathe freely. These are my native air. I love that line where it says, I am so made that worry and anxiety are sand and machinery of life. 
faith is the oil. If we focus on what God has done, our focus comes off of our fear and on to God. That's verse 7. It says, Did you not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people, Israel, and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? He's pointing out what God's done for them in the past in his prayer. Point number three, Jehoshaphat goes to God in prayer. One of the things that he draws out in his prayer is in verse 9. I love this part of the scripture. He says, should evil come upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you and cry to you in our distresses and you will hear and deliver us. Jehoshaphat's actually quoting something that he said months before. In his inaugural address, if you will, as king. He says, should evil come, up, come upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine will stand before this house. Much like Joshua, who said, me and this house will stand for the Lord. As we apply this message to our own lives, what are some promises that you've made to the Lord? As I went through my life, I made some promises about my life. John. Yes. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad I didn't claim. Well, very good. I'm glad I didn't claim those words as my own. <laughs> I would have got called out. But uh, what I want to point as we apply this lesson to our life, Jehoshaphat makes a promise before the Lord that he will not turn our back. And as I evaluated my life and things in my life that I've committed before the Lord, I came up with three things. At salvation, the moment I was saved, I stepped away from the things of the flesh and I made a promise, God, help me turn away from these things and move towards the things of life. Help me to stand firm on those things that will take me far away from you and things that will not. The second thing I've made a commitment is standing right here in front of a lot of you when I got married. I said things like, uh, through sickness and, and health, <laughs> that's hard to get out, <laughs> for better or for worse. And I took a stand. And it's by God's grace that I do stand on those principles and that covenant and that promise. As I raised my kids, I made a promise before God. I remember when Caroline was born in the hospital. God, I promised to raise her in a way that honors you. That's forcing me to take a stand. When things get hard on Saturday or Sunday or when I'm tired and Caroline wants to come and it's so easy for me just to brush her off. No, I'm going to take a stand to be an example for her. And I hope that you take time and about what are things in your life that you've taken a stand that you're going to stand for God on. I hope it's your marriage and I hope it's your kids. But how can you make it personable to you? Jehoshaphat, when he took this kingdom, took a stand 
And he said this, once again, this is so critical. The day he took his office as king, he said, should evil come upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand. He said, even before, this is when things are good. He said, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house and cry to you in our distress, and you will hear and deliver us. Are we taking a stand for anything? The next thing I want to point out is point number four is God answers their prayer. God answers their prayer. The Second Chronicles verse 13, it says, All Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives, and their children. Then in the midst of the assembly, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jeriel, the son of Matani, the Levite of the sons of Asaph. Why all, that, why all that family tree? They're establishing he's a man of God, and he says this. He said, Listen, all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the king Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. What an awesome thing. If your Bible doesn't have that underlined, underline that. That's point number five. You can write it in. The battle is not yours, but God's. And as our, as our time runs out, I'm just going to paraphrase the rest of this story. What the man of God tells him, and this is deep. This is the climax of the story. What the man of God tells him is here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to this hill. I just want you to go to this hill. Don't bring your swords. Don't bring your weaponry. Just bring your... In fact, what you can bring is your flutes and your trumpets. Because I want you to go to this hill, and here's what you're going to do. You're going to watch me take care of your problem. You're going to go to this hill, and you're going to have the best seat to see the power of God. That's pretty powerful. Now, let's make this personable. If you're going through stuff this morning, have you ever looked at it this way? Maybe God's allowing you to go through your stuff so that you can have the best seat in the whole house. You can have the best seat to see the power of God work and just dismantling whatever it is that's up against you. Because that's exactly how this story unfolds. Verse 16, just go to verse 16 and listen. Just make sure I'm right on this. The man of God says, Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the scent of Ziz, and, when, and, and you will find them at the end of the valley in front of the wilderness of Jerul. Verse 17, you need not fight in this battle. God's got it. I just gave you this trial so that you could see how powerful I am. All your fear, all your worry, silliness. I gave this to you so that you could get this seat and see the power of God at work with your own eyes. Ultimately, so your faith will be increased. Verse 17, you need not fight in this battle. Station yourselves. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out to face them, for the Lord is with you. What an awesome thought. The battle you're in right now may be just so you have a great seat to see the Lord's power at work. Point number six, the necessity of patience. 
the necessity of patience. How often in my life God tells me to go do something. In this case, if God would have told me to go on the hill and just wait, and he's going to do it, oh man, it would be so hard to keep my hand back from throwing a spear or putting on my armor or trying to do my thing. Jehoshaphat does none of that. He waits, he goes to the hill he's told to go at, makes no sense at all. And then he just waits and he begins playing as God instructed him to do. And then point number seven, it's the great triumph. Great triumph. Verse 24 tells us, when Judah came to the lookout of the wilderness, they looked towards the multitude and behold, there were corpses lying on the ground they had turned against each other and just obliterated each other, killing each other. It says, and no one had escaped, not one. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spool, they found much among them, including goods, garments, and valuable things, which they took for themselves more than they could carry. And, there, and they were three days taking the spool because there was so much. If we continue to read on to verse 30, it tells us that they began to glorify God and their faith increased. I hope if you're here this morning and you're going through a trial, you narrow your focus on the glory of God, not on the trial. You laser in on the glory of God, magnifying Him, chasing your fear out, and as a result, your faith increases. Let's stand and come before the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, I know there's some here that are going through difficult times. Help them to recognize you're the one that directs kings, you're the ones that direct circumstances, and you absolutely have the power to direct the path they're on, whatever it is they're up against. I do pray very specifically that you work in a mighty way in each of our hearts. Allow us to increase our faith by magnifying you and chasing out worry. I do thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and the hope that's available to him and the salvation that's available through him. And I pray that that's a reality in each person in here. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.